Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't. The conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and joining me today is Jay Schiffman, who I'm so excited to connect with. Jay is an open book, a vulnerable storyteller and stigma-destroying speaker, podcaster, and event host. Jay's story of struggle is familiar to the millions of people the world over who also struggle with issues of mental health, substance misuse, and addiction. The survivor of two suicide attempts and an overdose, and now in long-term recovery, it's Jay's mission to encourage difficult conversations and honest education concerning these and similar struggles. Jay founded his company, Choose Your Struggle, in 2015 with two distinct goals, ending stigma and promoting honest and fact-based education around topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy. Looking to make these conversations even more accessible, Jay launched the Choose Your Struggle podcast in early 2020. In spring 2020, it may Choose Your Struggle dropped, made it season one, sorry, sit, <laughs> uh, a serial style podcast documentary on Sarah Laurel and the Philadelphia Harm Reduction Organization Savage Sisters. A fervent believer in radical honesty and the simple fact that neither struggle nor recovery should be treated as a one-size-fits-all experience. Jay uses his voice and his platforms to educate, entertain, and empower. Holding a BA in psychology from Northern Kentucky University and with over a decade of lived and professional experience in the field, Jay's put in numerous hours of independent learning, acquiring certifications in mental health, substance misuse and addiction, and drug policy. He lives in Philadelphia with his wife, Lauren, and their dog, Nell or Neil? Nell. Nell. My brother has a dog named Nelly. Amazing. We call her Nelly all the time. <laughs> so excited to connect with you. Anybody listening, hearing that bio wonders if I combined ours and no, that's Jay's. <laughs> we just happen to have very similar passions about this. So thanks so much for being here and awesome hat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, every time somebody reads that entire bio, I'm like, man, I got to rewrite that thing. So it's half that length. Uh, but but thank you for reading it. No, it's worth it. And I love what you're doing. And you've overcome so much and not enough people talk about it. So tell us a little bit more in, in your own words about what you've been through and how you got to where you're at. Well, I, I, the, the key thing, yes, I, I completely agree with you. The key thing that, that you said is that not enough people are talking about it. And, and it makes me think of that Oh, I don't know if it's an adage or just an old saying that that you know everybody is fighting a battle that we can't see, right? I mean that is that is uh, every single person that you talk to every day is going through something, and we used to think of trauma as uh, very, I guess even would be the word, right? I mean you went through this, I went through this, it's the same thing, and that's not really how trauma affects us. You could go through something that to me seems like no big deal. And it could change you profoundly, right? Uh, you and I could go through the exact same experience. You come out the other end going, eh, I mean, that sucked, but I made it. And I am just lost to the world. So I think when you combine those two ideas, it really helps you realize that we should judge every single person for who they are, what they're going through, and try to be more empathetic. But that takes some vulnerability that is not uh that is not standard right and it's not even 
that it's not standard. It's not celebrated. Um, we're so quick to to jump to the conclusion of I know what you're going through because I experienced this other thing and blah 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 blah. And it's like, I mean, maybe we can we can all we can all relate, but to be quite honest, very few of us ever actually understand what somebody else is going through. I love that. And I think that's an important point. I have a newer client who has been in combat all over the world. He's alive. He has all his arms and legs. So in his mind, he hasn't been through anything because his peers, some didn't even come back. So it's important to acknowledge that it's not a comparison either, that if something affects you, then that's all that matters. That's right. Uh, and, 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 you know, especially when I was coming up and I think this is changing a little bit, I'm 36 and or I'll be 36 in a couple of weeks, but you know, men especially were supposed to be uh, subjective in that way where we're supposed to look around and go, Oh, I didn't have it as bad as him. I shouldn't complain. Right. I should keep my mouth shut. And then we kind of wonder how we get to this point where, you know, there's, quite frankly, so many guys who look exactly like me acting in ways that are profoundly damaging and toxic. And yet it's sort of normalized. Uh, and now we we call it toxic masculinity. But it's not surprising that we were all taught to keep our mouths shut, to bury all the pain deep down. And now we're seeing the results of it, right? I mean, this is our society doesn't do a good job of thinking things long term. We we sort of look at the today and that's nowhere more prevalent than in policy and the way that our, our quote unquote leaders act. But we don't we don't have the the foresight or, or the hindsight either to look back and go, hey, maybe what we're going through today is a result of this thing that happened 20 years ago. And maybe it's because these topics are uncomfortable and I get that I'm, I've been on both ends when someone's sharing or when I'm the one sharing, but that's part of healing. And I think that's what the world needs to recognize that encouraging somebody not to express that takes their healing to a a more intense level and it lasts longer. And so we're not talking about things to make anyone else uncomfortable. We have to talk about them to heal. Yep. I mean, nobody's ever been uh, served well by, by, being told not to, to talk about something. Uh, that's just not the way that this works, not the way that our brains are wired that that will literally eat us from the inside out. So uh, I think that's changing. Um, I, I think we're, we're getting to the point where you are seeing it more normalized and more celebrated to not only talk about things, but to deal with things, right? I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in being annoyed when I have friends who, who, you know, just use our friendship as the therapist couch. And then <laughs> when they're encouraged to go to therapy, be like, man, I don't need that. You know, uh, I, I, I tell those friends all the time. I'm like, fine. Uh, if you think you don't need it, first off, let me tell you why you're wrong. But after that, I'm going to point out every time that you're using me the way that I use my therapist. And if that doesn't change your mind into why into thinking that you do do need it or realizing that you do need it, uh, that that at that point, that's more on you, you know, and yet there are some dudes that I, I am still friends with who, who do that. And it's it's like trying to chip away at this ice block and you just it, you do the best you can. 
Well, and that goes to everybody. There's a stigma that therapy is bad. And if we could just normalize that, that you're, it's no different than getting your physical or, you know, any of your other doctor dentist appointments, but we neglect it because of these stigmas. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm literally wearing a hat that agrees with you. Uh, and, 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 you know, that, that stigma is a big part of it, but you know, the other part is the education and it's, it's, you know, uh, we, we are, unfortunately we've sort of lost sight of the difference between fact and opinion. Um, I, 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 I was just reading yesterday. This, this, this is so funny to me. There was a thread on on Instagram. It was it was uh, pictures from uh, I think it was Reddit, but it was the the prompt was women. What have you always wanted to say to men, but you've been afraid? And I can't tell you how many of them were so basic. They were like, guys, brush your teeth. Guys, wear deodorant. Guys, take a shower. You know, it's things like that. And and all of the stories. Below, we're like, yeah, I had a boyfriend who showered once every five days because he thought germs were healthy. It, it, it's stuff like that that just makes you shake your head and go, where are these people? Where Who is educating, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, getting over that stigma is part of it. But as my bio says and as the, the, the mission of my organization is, is that once you end that stigma, I like to go beyond that, right? There are a lot of amazing organizations who are just focused on ending stigma, and that's great, fantastic, good for them. But I feel like once we get that wall down, you know, once I tell my story and people are like, oh, wow, you know, and that, that wall drops, then I want to replace that education that we were fed either uh, intentionally or unintentionally that was all too frequently completely fabricated. Um, and, and, and here I'm talking about things like, you know, uh, dare and just say no, and all these really harmful drug education policy or, or educational outreaches that were awful with real fact-based education. Because if you allow that wall of stigma to come down, but then you don't replace it with anything, it'll come right back up, right? I mean, stigma is like a weed. Right. But uh, but but if you can replace it with real fact based education around these things, then you're getting somewhere. And that I think we'll see at different paces around the world. I'm originally from Michigan and I did not know the difference. I You just assume Colorado is beautiful. You know, everybody's outdoors. The quality of mental health care here in comparison to the Midwest. And I hear this from a lot of professionals is awful. You know, sorry, Colorado, I love everything else about you, but it's going to take us way longer to change a policy here than it is for you. So how do we bridge that? Because I'm over here going, I still want to make a difference, but it's harder. I'm in an, and there, there are other areas, rural areas. And, you know, what do we do for people who feel like they're just up against it all? Yeah, I mean, you know, that goes back to our earlier conversation with the stigma, right? I mean, that is... Uh, you have the different cultures where in, in, in the West, and I've spent a lot of time out in Colorado and I have good friends who, who, you know, grew up thinking that John Wayne was uh, uh, like what they were supposed to be like, right? I mean, it, it to me, that's almost as silly as, as seeing a guy like Iron Man on, on, on Marvel movies and going to be like, that's 
what I'm supposed to be like. I mean, John Wayne is a he's a fictional character. That is not the manliness we should be aspiring to be. You know, I look at the 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 guys who are freely sharing their emotions and that's the guy where I go that's a good role model right there. But for for a lot of dudes that is terrifying. The idea of being that vulnerable. And and actually it takes me back to a a, a story I love to tell. A couple of years ago I was reading an article in Psychology Today and they did this survey that found that it was like 95% of all guy relationships are built on three topics. Do you want to try to guess what those three topics were? Sports. Sports is always <laughs> number one. Yeah. Um, the next thing that just literally came to my mind was beer. <laughs> uh, well, that's kind of the, 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 that would be the fourth category. Uh, like food, food is not one of them, but it, it, they, they said if you included food as number four or food or whatever, it jumps to like 98%. So no, that that's not. That's okay, not travel? No. No, I'm not going to be good at this. Uh, so women is number two. And uh, media, movies, TV, all that kind of stuff. Oh, is yeah. Three. So th- you have those three topics, right? And, and I don't mean women as in like discussing our relationship flaws. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and and it, the point of this article was that it's all surface level. There is no depth in these relationships. And they use examples like, it stayed with me, obviously, this is years later, you know, one dude was homeless and his friends didn't know because they never asked. Uh, another guy had been divorced for like 10 years. And again, friends never asked how his wife was, so he just never told him. So I read this and it it it, it, it like hurt. Like it hurt me in my soul. And I did an inventory of, of all of my closest friends. And real, I had just gotten married not long before this. So, you know, when I say my closest friends, I literally mean the guys that stood next to me on my wedding day six months, nine months before this. And I realized that that was the way I was behaving with a good half of those guys, right? Now, to be clear, there's something wrong with those topics. I am a giant sports fan. We're recording this during the NBA Finals. My Boston Celtics are in the finals, and I couldn't be happier. But at the same time, that shouldn't be the basis of a friendship, right? So I reached out to all these buddies, the ones that were literally the most important men in my life. They stood behind, next to me on my wedding day. And I told them about this and said, I'm going to make a change. We can still talk about these topics because obviously they're great. We love them, but we have to go deeper than that. And all of them readily agreed. And now here we are, flash forward a couple of years. And one of one and a half of them aren't really close friends anymore. And and I think that this was a piece of that where it was like, if we're not just going to have this surface level conversation friendship, they weren't interested in that. And I say one and a half because there's like one guy incomplete and the other guy sort of going and goes back and forth. But the other ones, it really made our friendship deeper. And, you know, here we are a couple of years later, three years later, and they're all still those guys are still very close friends. And our friendship is is stronger because of it. So interesting that you say this, because I I'm thinking of the men in my life, my dad and my brother. And they are like that with their friends but they can open up with women. So it really is a met that that's an amazing conversation and a simple way to 
take that little look at yourself and your relationships, because I would think you guys have gotten some serious bonding and like, that's an amazing door to open. Yeah. And, and, and it's not always easy, right? A uh, perfect example is, you know, uh, uh, one of the guys is getting married soon and, um, he and I sat down and we had a tough conversation where I told him that I didn't love the way that his fiance talked to him in public. She was very mean to him. Um, and it made it not only uncomfortable to be around at times, but I said, look, I love you as a person and I am sure she does as well. But uh, from the outside, super hurtful to watch as she treats you this way. Now, that sort of put that in perspective, a close female friend of mine, uh, one of her best friends is getting married soon. And she was just telling me we had this long conversation because she's like, Jay, I don't know what to do. The the fiance, uh, he is not good to her. And I don't I don't want this marriage to happen. I'm very scared for her. And yet she's very afraid to have the conversation. They've never really done that work in their friendship. And so it really showed is sort of like, I laid the groundwork literally two, three years ago for that conversation with my friend. If I hadn't done that and every conversation we had was about sports or movies or whatever. And all of a sudden I was like, yo dude, like your fiance is that that's not cool. I don't know that that, that conversation goes the way it went. So um, it, it is definitely, it takes work and uh it can be very fruitful uh if, if you look at it in that, that long-term lens and like you just said it, it is a gift because one one and a half friendships aren't there but the rest have blossomed so yes there might be people that aren't receptive but there will absolutely be more who are that's right 100 and, and you give them that gift of of doing the same so yeah. great topics and conversations what would you say to people struggling i'm thinking of a, a friend who, who's he's a friend but he's an attorney and has not gotten help knows he needs it but there's a stigma in his profession he doesn't want to be connected and i'm sure millions my i have clients who worry about will this show up on on job applications and you know legitimate questions yeah uh, so great question um that stigma is definitely harder in some industries I got a buddy who is a uh, U.S. Air Marshal and, and literally has uh, – and, and people listening who are better at this than I am, I have no idea what level security clearance that is, but it ain't, it ain't nothing. I mean, it's a solid security clearance. And he uh, has his own nonprofit about mental health, uh, about addiction. He, he is very open with his own story. But he has been on my show recently. I've been on his. He's a good friend. And he talked about how that was the number one thing holding him back where he went, man, there is a not zero chance that I could literally lose my livelihood if I open up about this, right? And what he found was that he, by working through the system, it, was it a tightrope walk? Of course it was. I mean, he had to, to, to be very careful, but the, the, the measures were there. There was an acceptance of it. Um, he, you know, they helped him understand, like, here's how you keep these things separate, but also here's the mechanisms that, that are in place to support you doing this. And he's now, uh, it, it, he, it, the way he talks about it is the way that I talk about it when I first started telling my story now, seven, whatever years ago, that it's a giant weight off your chest. 
And so what I would say to, to that person is that, number one, it's never been easier to get private help, right? I personally, I hate this. I want to go sit in a therapist's office. I want that removal. But at the same time, that's not where the world is right now. And I do my therapy literally right here. I mean, the same way you and I are talking is how I do my therapy now. And so that there's that safety uh, that is that is removal. You, you're never going to be seen walking into the office or anything like that. And then number two is that there literally are laws in place to protect people getting help with their mental health. Uh, that doesn't comfort someone who might be, you know, losing their li- their livelihood in that moment. Um, but know that the safety nets have never been stronger, even if they're still not not strong. And, and what I would encourage that person is that. You know, it, we are, as a society, we normalize sort of uh, taking the leap in a lot of ways, right? I mean, we we reward people for the so-called jumping into the end of the pool and, and learning to swim that way. And yet when it comes to getting help for ourselves, we shy away from that. And so my advice would be to step back and recognize that when was the last time those fears that you had about this thing actually came true? You know, when I first started telling my story, I let it keep me quiet. I was five years into recovery before I told my story because I was so sure I worked in politics and I worked in nonprofit fundraising, two industries where you need a good public persona to be successful. And I was sure that I was going to lose it all. And it was Like, I cannot stress enough that it was the exact opposite. People were coming out of the woodwork asking me to speak at things, asking me to get involved with their organization and then supporting me in return. Being the vulnerable guy who opened up and started talking about my story launched me in this direction where now I'm literally doing this for, you know, my livelihood uh, five, seven years later. And... Yet I let that that fear keep me quiet for for almost six years. So I can tell you from experience that that stuff is not going to come true. And I can I can encourage you to step back and look around you and recognize that all of that fear and those that uh, that BS that you're allowing yourself to to keep you from getting help or being open about it. It's only happening up here. It ain't happening anywhere else. And to anyone listening, there are people, if you are ready, but it feels overwhelming by yourself, there are people who will be that voice for, I mean, that's what I do. Let me take all that weight off your shoulders. And when you are in a stronger place, you'll be fighting the fight with me. But until then, accept the support. And if you don't know where to find it, reach out to me, reach out to Jay, reach out to someone who can help you reach out. Don't stay silent. (laughs) What else to... Anyone, any last words, any? Yeah, I, I, so there's a couple things that I always say whenever I'm being interviewed, whenever I speak. You know, when I, uh, so we didn't really talk about my story, which is fine. I think these conversations are 10 times more important than my own story. But when I attempted suicide and in, in, in twice in two days and then overdose, I did so because I let the little voice in my head get, become the loudest one in the room and convince me that there was nobody there who wanted to, to listen. Uh, I was wrong. And and I can tell you again from experience and from working with a lot of people who who have attempted suicide that, that you always find out 
how wrong you are when you survive. Um, and so I would encourage anyone to, to reach out. And if you're scared that that person's not going to respond well, or I, I can tell you right away, they're not going to respond how you want them to. That's just, it's, it's never perfect. But if you reach out to the closest people in your life and you tell them you just, you're hurting, you, whatever, find the way to, to, to say it that works for your friendship. I can guarantee you they will be there at least in some way. And for people who may be listening and going, yeah, you know, my buddy's struggling. I don't know what to do. It's actually a very easy answer. And that is to start that dialogue in a way that makes your your friend see you as a trusted partner in this, right? So, you know, let's say you you know they're struggling with something, but they you, they just won't open up. Our our we tend to try to then beat them into some, oh, I know you're struggling, tell me, and that never works. The way that works is you sit down with them and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with something, or this is what I got going on. Can you help me think through this, right? Can you can you help me strategize about this? And you do that a couple of times, and subconsciously at least, that person is then going to see you as, oh, yeah, this is that person I, I work through things with. When Now that I'm needing something, you know, uh, they'll be there for me because I'm always there for them, right? We You have to approach it that way. You cannot try to just beat them into it. So if you know somebody is struggling, be vulnerable with them first, open up to them, and I guarantee you down the road that'll come back around. That's expert advice amazing because we do we we push and that's the last thing anyone needs when they're struggling yeah but Thank it makes sense and and i don't i don't like blame people for doing that right that's the way that we kind of in our society operate but to as you just so perfectly said it when the person is struggling that is the last thing that they're going to respond to so you got to mirror that for them and the other thing I always add or say to people in the difficult conversations is that if this is coming from a place of love. If you are asking them about their, this is not coming from a place of judgment or criticism. Like I am concerned or, you know, this is, this is impacting me. And so that's letting them know in a different way. Yep. It, it comes across different. Yep. Thank you so, so much. How do people connect with you? And do you have anything going on for anyone, especially a male in this industry? <laughs> we need that. Uh, you know, I'm just always constantly promoting my shows right now. Um, so as, as you said in the intro, I recently dropped a, a documentary podcast um, series uh, back on April 29th. It was called uh, Choose Your Struggle Presents Made It Season 1 Stay Savage. Uh, it is a 10-part series that tells the story of uh, Sarah Laurel, uh, a woman here in Philadelphia who started the harm reduction nonprofit Savage Sisters from her hospital bed after she was thrown out of the second-story window of a trap house. Uh, she is a fascinating person, a person I'm lucky to call a friend. I'm a board member on her organization. Uh, it was a wonderful experience making this series. And I'm very proud to say it spent the first three weeks of its life on uh, Apple's top 200 list in its category. So very proud of that. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, and all the rest of the stuff I do, including my weekly show called Choose Your Struggle uh, at chooseyourstruggle.com uh, or anywhere that you search for and enjoy your podcast. 
Thank you so much for your time, your story, your openness. Choose, choose your struggle. What's choose your struggle.com choose your struggle.com connect with Jay Schiffman. And until next time, everyone always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week. Thank you.